You're listening to the free preview episode of On Grief, a podcast about death by Karen Geyer. To unlock the full episodes, please visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod. Memberships start at just $2 a month. This is On Grief, a podcast about death. Most of us are likely familiar with the concept of the birth doula, which is a person who helps shepherd a pregnant person and their loved ones through the pregnancy and eventual delivery of a baby. Most of us are probably not familiar with the concept of the death doula, which is a person who helps shepherd a dying person and their family members and loved ones through the process of dying, death, and the aftermath. Here to discuss this new field is Madeline Demang, who is a death doula and a PSW. Welcome, Madeline. Madeline, can you describe what a death doula does in their day-to-day life? Well, it entails a lot of things depending on who you are. Most death doulas, end-of-life doulas, thanadoulas, they're all the same kind of person, different terminologies. You'll even hear terminologies like guide or coach in there. But what we try to do is help fill in the gaps. For instance, arranging things when you first know that you're ill or even when you're healthy, who gets what? What do you want your death to look like? What do you, Who do you want your medical proxy to be? Those kinds of things. And then during the illness, we give comfort and support to the family and to the ill and dying one, loved one, so that they know what's coming around the corner. Our medical system is great, except there are lots of holes. And so questions are answered usually. And then afterwards, after the death, immediately after the death, and even follow-ups two, three, four months later, so that that connection, which is very strong at that point, doesn't have to be broken off and that the story of that person's life and that person's death continues so that we can sort of round it all up. So why is it so important to have a death doula involved with your dying experience? I'm smiling as I hear you ask me that question because most people don't know they need us until it's too late. (laughs) So there's often... Again, as the medical system here is great, it's still, there's lots and lots of gaps. So because we don't, as a culture, really talk about our own death, um, which is coming, there's a lack of information and a lack of um, ideas around what it might look like and how we can change that for ourselves if it's not something that we want in terms of where we die specifically it's usually only when people realize i I mean i've gotten this comment a lot where i explain what i do and they say oh my gosh so needed work that is really really um we applaud you for doing this kind of work but then 
nobody does anything about it because we still think we're not going to die. So we, we uh, so me, for myself, I sort of go backwards with that and say, well, where's the problem then? Where's that disconnect? And the connection, the disconnection is really in the fact that we don't talk about it at all. And there is a movement happening, you know, there's rumblings everywhere, but it's, it's still very in its infancy. Um, and it's funny because it didn't take long for us to forget that we were going to die. You know, a hundred years ago, we, that was what we did. Well, we died at a younger age, first of all. So it was um, more pro- prominent, but <laughs> in our everyday lives. But nonetheless, so we we forgot pretty quickly. So what kinds of comfort does a death doula provide to the family of the person who is dying? For me, I really see it as a, a, a comfort of, it, we give a sense of calmness, a sense of normality, which is a big one, and a sense of preciousness that this is the time. This is the time to talk to him, her. They can hear you. Please say these words, or you don't have to. I give ideas, suggestions to make sure that they're not scared. That you know, the families often think that it's just the medical teams that are allowed to touch, talk rearrange pillows put music on it's not it, we have this act we have an active care team in our family and our friends and we can use them so that's where i sit in my practice i like to help families be there with their dying loved one there's a fear and there's a sadness but it's not abnormal so to make that really normal and sit in that pocket and really in engage in the preciousness of that time. The entire reason that this show exists is because we as a society don't talk enough to one another about death. In your opinion, how can we begin to fix that? How can we begin to have these conversations with people so we can start this process? Yeah, higher stakes and scarier, right? Like everything is kind of panicky at that point. Well, for instance, this podcast is great. It gets the word across that we do exist. We are helpful. Uh, we are more than helpful. We are, I would say, almost essential as doulas. And death cafes are another great source of uh, getting out there and talking about death and dying, which ultimately ends up leading you to talking about living and thinking about how you're living your life. But just normalizing it, just you know, get off your phone every once in a while. And if, I, you know, I do have a, a theory that it's really not death that most of us are scared of. It's it's the, um, the fear of losing people that we love. And it's the grieving we're scared of, which is hard to sit with, right? Because we don't have time. We gotta go. We gotta move it. We gotta make money. So sitting there with our grief, which is a dark, potentially endless tunnel, it is a, a very difficult place to uh, voluntarily go, you know. Since this is such a new discipline and we don't know enough about it as a society, when is the best time to contact somebody like you to engage your services? I think as soon as they get a diagnosis and or possibly a prognosis. So... The thing is, what you want from families and the, and the uh, the person who's dying is the buy-in. 
right? You want the, you want them to understand that this is a long haul, depending on how long uh, the the prognosis is is given. But this is something that the person who's dying wants. So everybody around that person has to agree with that person. And the buy-in and the trust takes a while. So I would say as soon as you know, even when you're healthy, I would say, because there are lots of doulas who do advanced planning. Um, so that's a great time to do it too, because you, you are not thinking that death is imminent. So you have a different idea and, and that could change. That can change once you know that you're sick or, you know, so as soon as you know, that way you can build trust and a relationship with all the doulas that are around you. The tension that occurs when somebody is dying is often the reason that there are fights and problems among family members. So how can you help facilitate uncomfortable discussions when there are difference of opinions on how to handle a person's death? Well, the discussion is, is uh, started by that statement, right? And a third or fourth, somebody who's not part of the family can sit there and, and actually I don't have to say a whole lot because they're already on their best behavior because there's somebody in their house who they don't really know very well. So they are more willing to have an open discussion for that person to say, I don't want a DNR that begins it and you write it down and that's all the discussion there has to be because they want it in my opinion. Now, yes, there are going to be conflicts of interest, but I don't think that has a lot to do with uh, me, and that doesn't have a lot to do with the person who's ordering that DNR, who, does, who doesn't want to be resuscitated, it has to do with the other person, and they, and they have to have that chat with that, per, that family member or friend who, doesn't, who has a problem with it. So if a family has decided it's time to bring in the death doula and they've hired someone like you, what is the next step after the initial session with you to discuss how to move forward? Well, it would be the advanced planning, knowing who you want your medical proxy to be. There are, uh, so there's, it sounds daunting, but it's actually, you just have to make decisions and it's pretty straightforward in paperwork. And, and having other family members there is always a good idea so they know that they're doing this and they hear it out loud and it's said, spoken by that person. And on top of that, there are, you know, weekly or biweekly visits about palliation in terms of comfort care. And I don't mean on the medical end, but it could mean anything from Reiki to massage to aromatherapy to guided meditation to lots of things like that. So, it, uh, and then... It would just evolve from there on planning on, well, how do you see your death? Where do you want to die? Meaning, how do you see your death? Where do you see dying? Do you want someone to call 911 when you're having a hard time breathing? Do you want to die in the hospital, which is up to them? Do you want to die at home? If you want to die at home, what do we do here? Like, what do you want it to look like? You know, there's the obvious candles and flowers and plants and 
but there could be chanting, there could be aromatherapy again, there could be readings, there could be people coming in to sing. Uh, it's really about planning, 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 planning. There's legacy work, which is a big uh, part of our work that uh, is really tangible and great to leave for your family, it, which could look anything like a, a painting or many paintings, a triptych, something that you can work with or journaling or poetry or I, I don't specialize in in the legacy work so I'm I'm not uh, I can't say too much about it but I know that there's a lot of people who do and and uh, it's very meaningful for the family to have that when when the person finally dies caring for people with dementia and Alzheimer's is a growing problem how does caring for somebody in a situation like that affect the work that you do are you still able to help in a situation like that? I would suggest that it would start from an earlier time when the dementia is not quite as pronounced because, again, trust and from the family and especially from the patient or the resident is huge at that point. So anything to do with lessening anxiety, right? So, and or educating, educating family members uh, about what it might look like when they finally just you know when they their swallowing is not happening anymore and what that might look like when when the food is no longer an issue necessarily it's no longer the intake is no longer necessary um and you know dementia and alzheimer's is is a, another dimension to what we already have um so i don't know if it changes very much in terms of how you would take care of someone it's really about relationship i think so if the person dying isn't particularly religious or doesn't have a religion how can someone like you help give them meaning give them a sense of purpose in the process of dying it's about holding it in the pocket of preciousness right knowing that you care enough to hold that space around them and and people tend to find their path of spirituality and you, it just having someone to talk to that is that they don't feel a burden to talk to often really really helps about finding their own way in the sort of spiritual jungle, if you will. And it doesn't have to look like anything specific, but it, it, it just knowing that there is someone they can trust to hold that space for them. And we don't, I don't think we do anything specific, but other than just being extremely compassionate and willing to listen, it, that goes a huge long way. So how can somebody like you help facilitate working with a dying person if they're a different religion from everybody else in their family or they are a gay person or they are a trans person? Well, I haven't had any major unique situations. They've all been very collectively lovely. <laughs> so I haven't had many conflicts other than uh, between the, the, the dying person and, and the family, other than the fact, uh, like I brought up before, is when 
someone doesn't want to eat anymore. They can no longer eat. And the body's telling you that normally. It's it's not um, it's not a magical thing. It just it's just says I can't you know take this anymore. And what I had to do at that point, and this is the most conflict I had with this family, was that I had to actually beg him, beg this family member to stop feeding um, the, the the dying person, and it was excruciating for me to do it, but I also felt that I was not honoring her wishes either. I was not being her advocate at all. Conflicts can go far and wide and politically and people get very upset in lots of different kinds of situations, but I have not had that. To unlock the rest of this episode and to hear more episodes, visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod.